Hello, I'm Claire Tonti and welcome to Taunts, a podcast about feeling all of it. This week, I talked to comedian, documentary maker, producer and podcaster Sam Peterson or Sammy P. I first met Sammy at a party and he seemed just so warm and funny and full of confidence and stories. Listening to his podcasts or meeting him in person, you would never guess the story he's about to tell about his life and how he became who he is. It's a reminder that everyone has a story and you just never know what really is going on in someone else's head. I'll also say that the other reason I wanted to talk to Sam is that everything he has achieved from making docos to stand-up comedy to producing and writing has all been through sheer determination and hard work. He's self-taught and I think is such a great example of what you can do if you rally a hell of a lot of elbow grease, put fear to the side and just get on with making it. Just make the thing. Make mistakes, pick yourself up and keep going. Putting aside some of those excuses that we give ourselves about why we can't do the things that we really want to do and the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves that we're too shy or, I don't know, not good looking enough or not clever enough or funny enough or that we could never achieve what we really want to achieve because we just don't have the time. I think Sam is such a great example of someone who just overcomes so many things in his life to just get on with making stuff. And I just would love you to listen to this conversation. And I think remember that we're all in this together. Absolutely. And we all have a story to tell. All right. Here is Sammy P. Hello, Sammy P. Hello, Claire Tonti. Oh, my God. You're here. How are you? You're good, good. Very that good. I've got a good. coffee. I've got you, a bottle of water. Oh my gosh, you were waiting for me. I was so late. Many beverages. Oh, oh I don't care so at all. So many beverages. I don't I don't plan to ever do anything by myself. So when I have like a time to have a time. When I have a hell of a time. When I have a <laughs> when coffee I have or anything. A hell of a time. Yeah. Of a time. When I have a coffee or anything by myself, it's just like the most luxurious thing in the world. Oh, it's mate. so good. It's so good. The drive here was my luxurious time alone. Yeah. And it was one yeah. I have two children. Oh, yeah. It's like when someone cancels plans and you're like, that's so great. Thank you. I know. Like someone's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I can't make you drinks. So you're like, great. <laughs> Excellent. Oh, my gosh. Well, speaking of time, that's mm. great. I'll start there. Yeah. You do so many things. And yeah. I was trying to figure out how you do all the things that you do because you podcast and you write and you do like comedy films and the documentary plus you work full time yep. in a marketing job yeah which i is do like yeah that's assuming. 8 till 8 till 5:30 monday to friday yeah yeah gracious. yeah <laughs> so how do you do that how do you approach time management i always give myself really harsh deadlines which is ridiculous when you when you do stuff by yourself like because I know that I've only got a certain amount of time in a week. And so I always give myself a really harsh deadline and lock it in with someone else because I know that I won't hit it otherwise. Like I'm really good at cramming. I was always one of those people that was cramming at school. Like the test would be tomorrow and I'd be like, holy shit, I better I better start cramming now. Like I was always cramming at school, yeah. always. So, Do you pe- need that adrenaline? I need that, that adrenaline, yeah. yeah. And, and people always think I do a lot and are always like, you know, think that I'm just always putting out stuff. But it's just like, nah, it's just let's like down to the wire. Like <laughs> I know I've got to release a podcast tomorrow. Like, you know, or I know that I've got to do, I've got to do something and, whether or not there's people waiting for it is another thing. Like, I don't really care about that. It's never been about that. I'm just always like, I'll disappoint myself yeah. <laughs> if it doesn't come out on time. <laughs> like, the podcast at least, like, I know if it doesn't come out on Sunday, there will be people 
it comes out every Sunday. Where is it? You know, because, you know, people expect that sort of stuff. But when you're making like a film or you're making like a thing, it, it, it is so hard because you don't have anyone calling up and saying, where is it? Yeah. You know, which you have in a normal job. Yeah. You have people going, well, where the hell is it? No one's going, I want to see that four-hour cut of your comedy film. <laughs> like no one's saying that. So it's me going, well, I know I've locked in with a friend to show them a bit of it. Yeah. So I know that it has to be at that point ah. by Saturday at 12 p.m. Is it also that you are a really hard taskmaster mm. in your head? You, in my head. In yeah. my head. Yeah, do you yeah. have an inner critic? Yeah, I do. I do have an inner critic. and I'm, I'm really harsh on myself. And I always thought that when I started doing stand-up, I was always like, oh, I'm my own harshest critic. And then I was like, oh, no, there's some much meaner <laughs> people out there that were like, like I remember once a friend of mine was like, I was doing a stand-up show and someone came up after it and, and she interrupted a group of my friends to walk up to me and she said, uh, I just want to let you know I did not find you funny at all. And I was like, I find that very hard to believe. And I like turned back and started talking to my friends. And I was like, well, one of my friends was like, oh, does that happen all the time? It's like, well, yeah, people, people, people can be assholes. There are a lot of assholes out there, but I'm way harsher on myself than that person's going to be. Like I hold myself accountable for everything. And, you know, I swim four times a week just because I go, you have to, there's no option. There's no choice. You have to do it. And no one is saying you have to do that. It's just you and you. It's just me. It's you just, just me. got like a real asshole in your head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going, you have to actually do that. But I'm I'm way more critical on, on what I do week to week than anyone else. Like if my diary's not full, I'm just saying to myself, you've really you've really done yourself a disservice this you've, week. You've let the team you've down, the Sammy. Team what down. the bloody hell are you doing? Yeah. Team Sammy has Get in the pool. Get in the pool. What are you doing? <laughs> you want to train for the Olympics or not? Yeah, yeah. exactly. And if you're not in the Olympics, well, you're shit, mate. You're shit, yeah. You yeah. can't live up to that. Yeah. yeah. But I do, I, do have a, I do have a very harsh critic in my head. Where do you think that comes from? I think it, I think it comes, not to get too deep, but a, but a feeling of not being good enough. You know, mm. it, it, there was always a thing when I was growing up, like I was born with facial palsy. And so I always, yeah, it wasn't a choice. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but, but, you know, so I, I was born with that. And so I always kind of felt self-conscious around people, like always just felt self-conscious. And when you when you go to, you know, I grew up in the country and, and kids can be mean about that sort of stuff, you know, mm. that might be surprising, but kids, you know, kids, <laughs> kids, kids can be mean. Worst. Yeah. And so I was always one step ahead of all the bullies. So I was always one step ahead of everybody. Like, cause you've got to think on your feet real quick. You've got to be like, you know, you've got to make the joke before they make the joke. Make you know? fun of yourself before yeah. anyone else does. Yeah. Before anyone else gets in with the jab. So you're like, yeah. I'll go with the grand slam straight away. And then they've got <laughs> yeah. nothing. What yeah. do you got now? So, you yeah. know, so yeah. I was always always doing that. And then as I started doing things and, you know, I, I got interested in like film and th- then just started loving comedy, like, you know, loving comedy. And then I would just write stuff just by myself, like pretending I'd write plays, I'd write anything I could and everything would go in the bin. Like everything was like, well, that's not good enough. That's, not, that's never going to be. Start again. Start yeah. again. Start <laughs> yeah. again, kid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, um, yeah, it was always, it was always like, because I already felt uh, self-conscious and then I didn't, like I had a, a like dysfunctional family dynamic. I was mm-hmm. always, I always felt this pressure to work and be better because I, I don't think I didn't have that. Su- I had a little bit of support, but my brother uh, is a drug addict and, and, and that was quite a tumultuous home life. And so I always wanted to get out. 
Mm, like, is he older than you? Or he's older than me. Older yeah, yeah. Than you. So it was like that thing of being homesick when you're at home, so you got nowhere to go. So I would like be 15 years old, getting on a bus and going up to the city because I'd arranged to film a sketch with Glenn Robbins. You know, and so I would be filming a sketch. I'd go, well, my friends, we get a bus up from Melbourne and there was a bus at 6am, 9am and 6pm. They were the only buses that went to Melbourne. Wow. Where, where did you grow up? Phillip Island. Phillip Island. Yeah. Oh, right. So it was like, yeah, you only had those buses. And if you missed those, they're not waiting. Yeah. Keith is not waiting. <laughs> no, yeah. the bus driver. Yeah, no yeah. Way. It's going to get to Melbourne. I can't get there quick enough. So, so. I was always like, well, I've organised to film a sketch with Glenn Robbins or, or Bob Franklin or all these comedy heroes of mine that, you know, I was just relentless in reaching out to them because, you know, I was just too excited. Like I was like, you know, this is the most exciting thing and, and Channel 31 started to play them. So, you know, I was like 15 years old meeting wow. all of these heroes, you know. A lot of them I've stayed in contact with but, you know, I was, yeah, only 15 filming in the city, not thinking about anything else, like, you know, not not worried about anything. And, about what home was going to be like. Yeah, yeah. And it was, you know, it was that that nice space of doing things. And, and, and I've just kept up that weird work ethic from that age where it's like you just have to do it. And I've always, you know, I, people have been, I think a, a lot of my friends who are great comedians and everything, they just don't work that much. <laughs> you know, like, you know, like they're, yeah, they're, yeah. they're geniuses. They, yeah. they, they get up and they do what they yeah. need to do and that's it. And they don't work in the same way. In the crap. Like the Philippusis versus the rafter. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, like just naturally gifted and kind of get out there. Yeah. Rafter slogs it out and kind of gets over the line. Yeah, and I'm not naturally gifted. You know, and I knew that from a young age. I was like, I'm not naturally good at comedy. Like I'm not. And and I knew that when I started. Like, you know, it was like I I saw people like Fiona Lachlan and Judith Lucy and and Greg Fleet who are naturally brilliant, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's not until you start to – go, okay, well, there's two two addicts right there that, you know, Greg Fleet and Fiona, two addicts that, of course, they're just brilliant because they're geniuses in that craft. And then, you know, when when I got to work with, with Judith Lucy, which was, you know, an absolute dream come true, I, I found out that she works fucking hard. You know, and she gets up every day and she writes and, 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 you know, and you see all those people like Will Anderson and people like that who you're like, oh, they just work really hard mm-hmm. all the time and they, all, and they never stop working. And I think I'm more of one of, one of those people than, the, you know, than the naturally. The naturally gifted. Yeah. But in yeah. the end, I think you can often get further with that work. I mean, Barack Obama says that you focus on the work. Not to, just to quote Barack yeah, Obama. Yeah, yeah, You know, you focus on the work because mm. that's what propels you forward in the end and you can have all the natural talent. I'm sure there's lots of people who have lots of natural talent and yeah. uh, not swimming in the pool four times a week yeah. and making documentaries. Yeah. General Lachlan and meeting yeah. their heroes at 15. Yeah, but, yeah. you know, that's the, that's the thing about some people that you see all these naturally gifted people that do it. And you're just like, wow, I'd love to have that. You know, whatever that is, that spark, that that little thing that you're like, wow, you're a genius. Like, you know, to actually yeah. look at someone. And I mean, I think it's overused. I think that word is way overused because <laughs> yeah. I know a lot of people that have been called geniuses and I'm like, well, I don't think they are. But, but <laughs> there are some people that you're just like, wow. Like to have that brain and to have that to be that quick with that quick with and just kind of stumble onto this onto a stage, yeah, particularly in comedy and be half cut and just create yeah. this incredible show, whatever it is. Yeah. And you know, and obviously, like you know, the geniuses as they get older, it's you know, <laughs> they might lose a little bit of that yeah. spark they once had. But yeah. to see people when they've got it, 
And, you know, it's so exciting to see people now that you're just like, wow, you've got it. Like, mm. you've totally got it. And yeah. I would I would be personally, I know I'd rather work really hard for it, but I know that some people who, you know, who kind of rock up and they, they you know, they kind of just got out of bed and they're like, you're there, there and you're like, wow, that must be amazing. Yeah, to have, to that. have that kind yeah. of thing. I wanted to wind it back a little yeah. bit and you can not talk about this if you don't want to. Yeah. Do you want to explain to people who don't know what facial palsy is? Yeah. So it, it means that uh, people don't have uh, some of the nerves in, in their face, wherever it is. So they, they have a, a lack of nerves. So yeah, so when I was born, um, the through the forceps that we used, I had a lot of nerve damage on the left side of my face. So it basically means when I smile, I don't I don't get the full lift on on the left side of my face. It's not numb, but I am lol. No, uh, but yeah, but um, <laughs> but it, it is like um, it is it is. What I was worried about was that it would droop. Like that was kind of like you know it would get worse over the years. But I had an operation that wasn't exactly corrective surgery, but it was to make sure that that it wouldn't get worse. Yeah. Over time, so it's it's different to Bell's palsy. Bell's palsy, I I think from what I know of it, is that it's it's often temporary and it the nerves stop working for a while. But mm. facial palsy is basically yeah, the nerves were never working or they were damaged at a very young age. So since birth, I haven't been able to to smile fully. Like I just haven't been able to do that, and um, and not through lack of trying. <laughs> but um, but then you're in comedy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. then yeah, and then so yeah, just half of my face is just, it just doesn't work. Wow. You know, and I always I always knew that. You know, from it, my mum kind of. I think my mum was very good with explaining it to me and and saying that you know it's just different. Like it's not mm. it's not that it's weird or. But, but, you know, it makes you feel self-conscious, like, all the time when, you know, you know I'm 29 now, but, like, you know, before, you know, like, growing up and being, you know, in your early 20s and everything, and it sounds like I'm kind of ex- talking about something that doesn't seem to matter that much. Like, you know, I know that people are far worse off, and I know that lots of people out there have other things, but, you know, when I was, like, growing up and you're just not the same as everyone else, like, you know, you you feel so self-conscious because, you know, like... Even if I wanted to be an actor or something, it would always be a thing. Like it would always be an issue. Like if I wanted to act, I go, "Oh, this character just happens to have facial palsy as well." <laughs> you know, like he's very good, but he always his characters always have this sort of droop on one side of their face. They're a bit slanted on one side, and it was always a thing with me where it was like, "Oh God!" And my and my mum had read a book. I remember an article about Wendy Harmer and Wendy Harmer, amazing stand up who started comedy in Melbourne pretty much, like, you know, Wendy Harmer and Greg Fleet and all these people, Anthony Morgan and all of these incredible people. And Wendy Harmer famously was born with a cleft palate and her dad pushed her to get up in front of people from a really young age. So, like, got got her to perform constantly and she hated him for it. She hated him for it. But it was about having that confidence always, like about going, you might feel different. So we just want you to get up in front of people and, and show them that, that you know, you can you can be whatever you want to be. And my mum did that with me. So she made me get up and do public speaking. She made me do play. She made me do all of this stuff. And and I remember times when I was so angry at her, like I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to do um, Toastmasters. You know, <laughs> you know, who would? I didn't want to go to the Rotary Club, you know, like I you know What's Toastmasters? Toastmasters was a real crappy uh, sorry, it's not a not a plug on this podcast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Plugging Toastmasters by going it's crap. Um <laughs> it's just a public speaking thing. Oh well, yeah, people might come like at you and say it's absolutely not. But yeah, yeah it was it's like a, a yeah, like a rotary club competition where people would get up and 
and and make a speech, like a seven minute speech. And I remember doing Toastmasters, and yes, for the I know you didn't ask, but I did go to GIS Toastmasters, <laughs> and it was. I, I remember once the improvised thing came out, everyone wanted to be funny. Ah. Like, you know, so it could be the most serious thing ever and you've, you know, you, you've put together this speech about, you know, Nelson Mandela or, you know, like, you know, yeah, my yeah. hero, everyone will go Mother Teresa and you go, what, really? Yeah. You from Warrigal and your, your hero <laughs> you is Mother, Mother Teresa? Teresa? I don't think so, mate. <laughs> but, but, you know, but everyone would try and do stand-up when, when they could because everyone wants to be funny. You know, it's always that thing where yeah. I think everyone thinks they're funny or at least wants to be funny, you know. And yeah. so people were like, you know, we just become so dishevelled and everything. I was like, oh, wow, like people, you know, once they're in Toastmasters, like, you know, they can do whatever they want. Yeah. But, but <laughs> the sky's the limit. The sky's the limit at Toastmasters. <laughs> yeah, they opened up all these options. <laughs> there's Great. their plug. They did pay me to do that. Correct. But, um, yeah, exactly. But, <laughs> thank you to Toastmasters. <laughs> thank you to Toastmasters so much. Thank you very much. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Toastmasters. But then, yeah, it was like I remember, I remember my mum just pushing me to do that sort of stuff and it was like, wow, if I do it, it felt more normal. Or that, uh, it felt, it kind of felt like an acceptance thing, as sad as that sounds. It kind of felt like, because a lot of my friends were like, you know, growing up in Phillip Island, surfers, you know, like like it was. It very was, beachy. You know, very quite beachy. Quite a blokey culture. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, I think I was just the, well, I know. So <laughs> I think I was an odd person. No, I was <laughs> fucking odd. But, but, but they're my favourite people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and that's the thing. It's like, you know, I was very odd at my school. You know, and I think I was kind of the funny one at my school. But then when you come to Melbourne, you are a very small fish in <laughs> yeah, a very, very big pond. Very small odd, a like very a fish odd. in a very massive odd yeah, pond. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And a little little Nemo, half his Aww. flipper doesn't really work that well. It's all like me. It's kind of a, <laughs> a, a yeah, kind of an analogy. Oh, it's an analogy. Nemo, Nemo. Two of Australia's favourite icons. Yeah, we're very similar, <laughs> me and Nemo. Yeah, yeah. but I, I think just growing up with that, it's kind of like well. You have a very different perspective mm. of how other people treat you rather than, you know, I, and I think I always just thought of things a little bit differently because I didn't, I was always so jealous of people's smiles. Mm. And I still am. Like, you know, like I, I, one of the first things I notice about people, which is really sad, I always go, God, they've got a great smile. Oh. And it's not, it's not that I'm jealous of that person now, <laughs> 29 years old, going, oh, I'm so jealous of your smile. <laughs> but, you know, you know, I was always kind of a little bit like, Oh, like, you know, I wish I had that. You know, I wish I had that because it's such an expressive thing. You know, it's it's something that, you know, you see someone and you smile and, you know, I've I had to develop a personality that made people <laughs> think that I was real friendly because I was like, I didn't have that smile. You know, I didn't, I couldn't greet people in that way. You know, I couldn't because it would look a bit odd, like, you know, especially when I was a lot younger as well. Because mm, I wouldn't have even really noticed now. No, and, and that's because, like, I, I don't hide it, but it's, it's um, but... I I think after having the surgery, it's been a few years of it kind of, I guess, getting getting stronger. I see. Like it's like a muscle. Yeah, it's like a muscle and, yeah, but yeah. but it always is a, a still a self-conscious thing. Like, you know, if I was to go on a date or something and, you know, it is, you know, it can be a very big thing for me to still do it. Still do it, yeah. If, if, if people don't know me or, you know, or I'm meeting people because I'm a very socially anxious person anyway. So, you know, and that comes from that. So it's like, you know, I because yeah. of my social anxiety, like I, to go to a thing with more than two people that I know I, it takes me a long time to do it, which is why, you know, I always just, it's like the workaholic thing. It's like, just jump now. 
Yeah. You know, before it's yeah. really scary. Like, yeah. you know, like. You just it's have like, to do it. Yeah, it's yeah. like that bungee. It's almost like about bungee jumping. They go, the moment before you jump is the scariest. You know, and once you're in, you're like, well, I'm falling. I'm, I'm falling. I'm here now. I'm falling. It's like, <laughs> yeah. well, I, if I pull up, I always make sure I arrive exactly on time and I walk right into the bar or right into the event because otherwise I wouldn't go in. You know, like, wow. yeah. And that's, and that's one of the reasons I think why I just put stuff out because I'm just like, well, oh, scary now. It. It's going to be scary in a second. Yeah. So hit, hit upload. Yeah. Hit just, send. Just do it, Sammy. Just send. Do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is so interesting because I think listening to your show and having met you at a social function, mm. I remember I met you at Dave Warnicky's house party. And I just remember. As James that. says, his 17th birthday. His <laughs> 17th birthday. God, he's so fresh faced. He plays like an intern in one of, in your comedy. Oh, yeah, film. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's just so perfect for him because he just looks so he's like all, young. Gorgeous. Little big, God is gorgeous. big white eyes. <laughs> um, but I remember meeting you there and thinking you were super funny and great and you just seemed so comfortable in your skin. And on the show, on Confessions of the Idiots, you would never know that you, you struggle with that. Yeah, yeah. And I. Yeah. I I think it's the people that you don't think a lot of the time that that 100% are 100% worse off. I said 100% so many times. I don't know how many percentages go into that. Let's just say it was just me in a oh. podcast of Sammy saying 100%. <laughs> yeah. He was pretty good at math, let's just yeah. say that. Uh, I think it's the people that, that grapple with the worst are always the people that I'm attracted to because I'm always like, wow, you're so confident. And I've certainly been with a lot of my friends that – struggle with it and aren't as <laughs> full on as I am in a, in a, in a funny an and like, yeah, because Gregarious, I, just, yeah, yeah. Cause I, cause I guess I just always want to include people. Cause I'm always like looking at other people like, Oh, you might struggle with this. So I start bringing other people into a conversation and, mm-hmm. and talking and telling stories and everything. And I remember once I was dating someone that after a party just went, you don't have to do that. And I was like, what do you mean? And they're like, you don't have to make conversation for everyone. And I was like, I know. And there's like, you just, you brought out all of your stories. You know, like, <laughs> you like I've got five. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was like, oh, here comes a fucking clown with his props again. <laughs> but I think because my mum always did it, my mum was like that at parties and social events. She was on a table and she was telling people stories and always such a good storyteller. And I, yeah, I think I saw that and was like, that's just how you are at things. But mm-hmm. but even though you don't feel confident to do it, you're just like, oh, I've got to be, I've got to be that person. But then when you know, if if it's at a thing like Dave's party, I know that the people are going to be nice. Yeah. Like you know, when you you feel safe when you you're around Dave, and I'm like, well, Dave is one of my best friends, and I love him, and so I know that he'll surround himself with people who are lovely, you know, apart from Jess Perkins. But, yeah, but you, I think when you know that you're surrounded by really sweet, lovely people, it becomes easier as the night goes on. Mm. And especially, like, you know, meeting, you know, meeting so many different people that night as well, you know, like I hadn't met a lot of people, you know, I hadn't met you and James and, you know, there's lots of people that, you know, kind of come in and out and you're, you know, it takes a while sometimes to kind of feel comfortable in, in those surroundings, I think. Yeah, it's it's so interesting. What's it like to be the brother of a drug addict? It's a big question. Quite. Uh, it just meant that my parents' focus was on him. Because he was difficult meant that I never... I, I I never really had a good relationship with him. Like, it was never really an incredible relationship. I loved him, but then, you know, you start to... I think the love doesn't go, but it's like loving someone you don't know. So once the their drug affected, and I think he started um, started quite early, 
then he started getting violent and 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 there were just so many sort of traumatic situations that happened when I was like 15. And how old was he? Like he was 16, so he's only oh, a year so old. He's so there. close in age to you. Yeah, I think yeah. I thought he'd be a lot older. No, no, but he yeah, so he went down a, a different path and you know, I've never touched a drug in my life. You know, I've always been terrified of drugs. So, you me know, too. Yeah, I mean, yeah, shockingly like, having met me. Yeah, yeah. Going, goodness. Um, <laughs> goodness, no, thank you very much. Yeah. I won't be having any of your pot, thank no, you. No, thank you. I don't, <laughs> someone once said to me, because I was saying, yeah, like, oh, you must have just said no when people had offered you something. And I'm like, no one has ever offered yeah, you Yeah, anything. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't think, uh, but like, that, and that's the thing, once you get into, like, showbiz, yeah. Oh my God. Everyone's snorting coke. Everyone's, you know, and I've just never done it. Like I've just never wanted it because I always worried about myself having a chemical imbalance that, you know, one hit of something. That's mm-hmm. how I'm not into drugs I am. I don't think everything's a hit. But, you know, but, but we're going to hit another hit on our hands, everyone. Yeah. But it was like, yeah, I just thought that I might have that chemical imbalance. And then all of a sudden, mm-hmm. I would go down that same path that, or that I would be an addict or I would, you know, that I would have that problem. So I've just never. Yeah, I've just never wanted that to affect me in that way. But he, you know, it, we just had the police around all the time and, you know, and mum and dad had to have restraining orders and then, you know, I had to have that, you know, and, and you kind of, it's a weird existence where you just kind of, you don't want to be at home, but you can't really be anywhere else because you're like 15. And so, you know, it was just a horrible environment where every night there would just be something, you know, there would be a fight, there would be something smashing, there would be... Yeah, there's be violence, like you know, and and you had to deal with that all the time. It was just kind of part of your part of your life, and you couldn't really do anything about it because you know you couldn't. Like I tried to stand up to him a few times, and it just escalated into a fight. Um, but there wasn't really anything I could do about it. I think. Mm. Yeah. At the end of the day, what's the, what's your relationship with him like now? We don't really have one. Yeah. So we we did we did uh, you know tried a little bit, but I think. Yeah, you always got a different phone and, yeah, never really, never mm. hear from him. Yeah, or, yeah, or there might be a nice thing and then there'll be a bad thing and then, they'll, you know, so at the moment, at this present time, I don't I don't have a relationship mm. with him, yeah. Is that to put a boundary in, you think? Yeah, yeah, to, yeah, yeah. And I'm always drawn to addicts, yeah. you know, like, you know, I'm always yeah. drawn to addicts, you know, so I'm always like, well, I can't, I've, I've got to start to distance myself from those sorts of people, you know, like those sorts of people that are so draining and, you know, a lot to deal with or, you know, or giving yeah. them money all the time or, you know, trying to help them or fix them because, yeah, I guess you can't really you can't really fix people. You can try and so many people do try to fix people all the time but it's never, a, you know, yeah. it's always, a, it's, it's not a pursuit. That I think that you can, you can always go with and always be pushing shit uphill. Because mm, they really can't get there themselves until they do it themselves. Yeah, they yeah. have to want to change in yeah. them, don't they? And a lot really, of people don't. do it for them. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people just don't want help. Yeah. You know. I, I, um, I loved Lady O'Loughlin. Oh, thank you. I just yeah. thought it's a, for those who don't know, you should totally go and watch it. Fiona O'Loughlin, the comedian, Sam made a documentary of her life where it kind of tracks a part of her, I guess, alcoholism, Yeah, you say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and her comedy and, and really how she came to – I mean, she's brilliant, obviously, we've talked just before. Yeah. How did that come to be? Um, I met I met Fiona when I was – I think I would have been 15 or 16 and uh, I was at the comedy festival and I was such a big fan because my mum was a huge Fiona Lachlan fan. Like, when I was 15, Fiona was the biggest comedian in Australia. 
and she'd made a name for herself overseas and she just was so brilliant. Like her gala sets were like the funniest gala sets and, you know, I always wanted to stay out to watch Fiona on the Channel 10 gala <laughs> and and uh, I saw her at a bar and I don't know why I was allowed in. I, I wasn't old enough to be in there. But I remember I had a friend with me and we were filming. We'd filmed a sketch that day with uh, Akmal Sali and uh, he'd said yes to be on a Channel 31 show. So interviewed him about comedy, did a little sketch with him and then saw Fiona and I walked up to Fiona and I was like, hi, um, my name's Sam. I really like comedy and I want to um, film a sketch with you. And her manager, who's like a really big guy, um, put his hand in my face and said, we're talking to networks, we're busy. And he, yeah, just put his hand in my face and I walked off and, you know, a little bit like, it's, yeah, it's just terrifying. like, yeah, 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 especially when you're that young as well and, yeah. you know, and yeah, I was like walking down the town hall steps and I was real sad and then um, Fiona came running after me and she was like, I'm so sorry, darling. Um, where do you want, what do you want to do? And I was like, I just want to film a sketch with you. And she goes, great. Oh, how about I meet you at the Vic Hotel in an hour? I'm doing a show now, but I, it'll go for an hour and then I'll meet you there. And true to her word, she finished her show and she walked down to Vic Hotel where I was with a friend and we were sitting there and we thought Fiona wasn't going to come, you know. Of course you did. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I wouldn't have thought either. No. Also, it's so ballsy of you to yeah. go up and just talk to her. Yeah. Amazing. And we yeah. waited and, you know, Fiona came and, and filmed a sketch with her and then I thought that was it. It went on Channel 31 and, and then, you know, I did not win a Logie or anything that year. <laughs> Snubbed again. Um, but then, lost out again. <laughs> lost out again. <laughs> but then, yeah, and then she stayed in contact. She called me once a week and, and was lovely. And then I made a documentary on her um, one time when I think I was 18 years old. And I made a, I followed her to a comedy show and I filmed a very short documentary on her. And that went into a film festival. It did, it did pretty well, I think, at the time. And it was called Lady O'Loughlin. And then it wasn't until well, six years or so later that we had the conversation again. I was like, do you remember when I filmed that thing and I'd love to make a proper documentary about you? And she was like, yeah, of course. But she had also just been in a coma with a 7% chance of living and and her life was it, – it had changed so much since then. Like, you know, her addiction was really bad and, and it was just like it kind of felt weird to be filming that with a really close friend. And she went to a long-term rehab and, and, and I wrote a letter to her and – I was just like, I think I started with like, um, new letter, who dis? Um, of course, classic. <laughs> Clever, classic, savvy fan. Classic. And, yeah. and yeah, wrote a letter to her and I was like, I really want to make that documentary. And she was like, absolutely. And I got, when she got back to Melbourne, we just started. And it, I filmed her over three years. And it was a story about a good friend of mine who was so big like such a big comedian and then had this really public battle with alcoholism, really public, and then had struggled, struggled, struggled and kind of found it hard to keep the career together through all of that, found it really hard to actually, you know, get get one foot in front of the other and through failure and failure and failure, getting back up and doing everything she could, we, yeah, we just kept, oh, well, yeah, it was me basically, I had, started filming it. Then I took it to a friend of mine, um, Emma Sharp, and Emma um, showed it to a friend of hers, Rebecca Holt. Um, Rebecca Holt showed it to um, Jonathan Bro, 
And then Jonathan Bro, um, who, you know, directed Rosehaven and, you know, he's an incredible director, an incredible person, and he just loved the story. And he didn't know who Fiona was and he was just like, this is an incredible person on screen, like just has such a presence. Yeah. And she does. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Genius, Genius. yeah. Yeah. And she does have such a presence. And I just started filming her and, and one time she was in hospital. She'd gone into hospital and she said, um, come and film me. And I was like, oh, my God, like, do you put your documentary maker hat on, Michael Moore style, am I right? Correct. Um, correct, exactly. always Michael Moore. Louis Thoreau. <laughs> Louis Thoreau. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, do I, do I put that hat on or do I put my friend hat on? And the friend hat wouldn't go and film. Exactly. You know, in such a personal space. But she said on the phone that this has to be seen because it's part of it, the relapsing. And so I went to the hospital and I had my camera with me and it felt very awkward. And obviously you can't film in a hospital. So, you know, I've got a camera with me and someone's like, do you have permission to film? And you always always go, yes. <laughs> and then no other questions, no further questions. I'm not taking, any, say, I'm not taking any questions at this time. <laughs> Nothing but, at this time. Thank you. <laughs> but, but, yeah, if you, if you kind of go with confidence into any situation, which is always what I do, you know, you, you can get through anything and, and especially making a documentary like, you know, I got kicked out of so many places filming it, but you just keep going and you just have to keep going and you can, you know, ask permission later. Like, you know, you, you know, it's always a good idea. Go ask permission later. Don't worry about that. But then, <laughs> yeah, it was like three years of, of making it, three years of making it and, you know, a friendship in there as well. And then... Sorry, my Siri does not understand what I'm saying. I'm sorry. I thought I thought my Siri on my Apple Watch would at least be supportive, but no. Still doesn't understand what I'm talking about. You don't about. even have a supportive Apple I don't, Watch. No, Let alone I don't understand. Like, just like the person in your yeah. head. That's Do you know your podcast comes out tomorrow? Oh, shit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, it, it was just filming and filming and filming and Jonathan was editing it and I was kind of going, I don't know if I've got anything left in me. And then also a documentary... There's no ending. That's the hardest bit is finishing something like that because, you know, I go, oh, great, like I've got this amazing story. But it's not an amazing story if you don't have an ending. Mm. It's just a, you know, like you can't just fade to black and go six months later, which is what I did in other things. (laughs) But um, but I've certainly certainly done that a lot. But, you know, it's so hard. And then Fiona um, called me and said, I've been cast in I'm a Celebrity, get me out of here. And I was just like, oh, this is the ending because otherwise I kept saying to her, I think you might just need to die. (laughs) Like, I, you know, got to that conversation where I was like, I think you might just need to die because we don't have an ending. And she's like, I'll do that for you. If you if you get this to Khan, I will do this for you. Um, but, That's the kind of friend she is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, but, yeah, it was just like, what do we do? Like, I don't know how to end it. And then when that call came, and that's why it was three years because – a lot of great stuff happened in the first year, in the first two years, but then there just wasn't an ending. And then you go, well, wow, this is falling so into place. was she just struggling with her addiction during that year? Was it or? It was, it, I mean, it's a lifelong yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but yeah, that those few years were her coming out of long-term rehab, which was, mm-hmm. you know, I think a pretty critical time to start filming because it was the road to recovery in a very... Um, yeah, in a very in a very sad way, it was like, well, you know, it's it's make or break for her now. This is the last. This is the last time, and and yeah. also, like you know, in the industry, it's like, how many more chances are you going to get? Like, how many people, you know, how many more people are going to trust that you're okay and you're doing okay? You know, mm-hmm. and you know, working in a bar, being an alcoholic, like fuck, like one of one of the first things that people ask you is, you know, what do you want to drink when you go anywhere? And and then she's also got that added thing of people going, well, who's looking after the kids? Mm. You know, because she's got five kids. And, you know, it's like 
you know, no one ever asks her husband that, but, you know, but for her to be out is irresponsible. And, and so there's always this thing as like, you know, comedy is um, very male dominated. That's my opinion. <laughs> I don't care. Come at me. But, um, but, you know, it is, it is such, um, it is such a male dominated area. So. What's the attitudes around her, like around that space? If you're a woman who's super talented in comedy, I mean, maybe it's different now, but in your opinion, yeah. what do you think the attitude is? I just, you know, I just think it's, I, I think it's just a different world now. Like I'm not in the stand-up world anymore, so I don't really know. But yeah, I, I mean, there's just certain, it just takes all sorts of people. Like there's people that, you know, people that still say I don't find women funny and you're like, how? <gasps> like it's so, it's so intense. Like you go, how? Yeah. Most of the best comedians are female. Like, you know, like you, it is just the way it is. Like it's not a question anymore. Like, well, it never should have been a question, but it's certainly not with we, how much we've progressed. It shouldn't be a, shouldn't be a question mm, It's interesting. I was interviewing a journalist recently who did a study on heterosexual relationships and men particularly, which is so interesting, and she said that one of the things about comedy is that to laugh at someone is a transference of power because if you're yes, laughing yeah. at someone, laughing at their joke, you're kind of deferring to them and saying, I think you're great, that's yeah, hilarious. Yeah. And maybe subconsciously there are certain types of men and not all men, obviously, not hashtag, hashtag not all men, men. hashtag, hashtag come men. at me, no, um, that do find that transference of power difficult when yeah. it's a female. Yeah, you know? yeah. I don't know. I thought that that would be interesting. Yeah, look, I've, all, I've always been very attracted to funny women. Like yeah. always, like anyone, you know, that I've been attracted to has been hilarious, you know. And <laughs> yeah. so, you know, but I'm, that's, that's, I think that's kind of also me taking a back seat, like going, you know, cause I, I never want to be the funniest person in a room. Like I'm terrified of being that person. So I'm just always <laughs> like, great. No, if you're the funny one, that's great. That's great. I can, don't have to take out all my five stories and yeah, just yeah, keep yeah, on talking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got the floor you've now. You've got the floor. It's yours. So, yeah, that's you so know, interesting. So, but I think, yeah, maybe it is a shift of power. Maybe that's the reason that some people find it attractive and some people are terrified of it. Yeah, yeah. Cause it's definitely happened to me. Jess and I would, Perkins, I interview her for this show as well. <laughs> and she was talking about that, then in a room. Sometimes she will make a joke and guys won't laugh. Yeah. Or they'll look at her kind of puzzled. Like, what is she trying to do? Yeah, like yeah. Some kind of, you know, I don't know, performing monkey that's like suddenly started talking and everyone's like, you're not supposed to talk. Yeah, you know, Which yeah. is such an old school thing and I'm, and I'm hoping that that's really shifted. But I wondered about Fiona and and how that Im- impacted her. What's comedy and drugs and alcohol in your experience from that time? like with Greg Fleet as well, is that a huge issue in the comedy Yeah, scene? yeah, it certainly was. Uh, when I started filming, I didn't really know. But, I, you know, when I was, I did stand up for seven years and, I, you know, it was always, it was always at a bar and you'd always have a drink before and after. You know, mm. uh, a lot of the time, like I, I started not drinking before because I was like, I don't want that to be an issue, you know, and something mm. that would always be like a, uh, you know, like a tradition that you go, I have to drink before I go on. But mm. some people would. And I, I think Will Anderson says in the documentary, he's, he talks about uh, comedy and addiction and, and how you can be the most charming person in the world. You know, it's always mm. the addicts that are the most charming people in the world and they can twist and, and, and you know, they can make you fall in love with them. And, mm. yeah, it's really charming. But there is that rock and roll lifestyle that that is there and it is those people that, you know, because it's kind of a hit, like that adrenaline hit of getting a laugh is incomparable. And so then you want that all the time and you can't get it all the time. So, you know, it seems to me like, you know, numbing things 
is mm. the way to do it. Mm. Like numbing your other experiences because you're on stage for 20 minutes, maybe 10 minutes, maybe five minutes, like, you know, like maybe an hour at best, you know, but the rest of the day can be really hard because you're not getting that release. You're not getting that hit, you know, and if you don't have any other things that you like to do, it kind of seems like drugs and alcohol seem like the option, you know, and and then you're out late, you're partying, you're out at clubs, you're out, you're doing things, you're constantly working. So it just becomes a huge part of the lifestyle for some people. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Yeah, that's so interesting. Why did you stop comedy? Uh, I stopped because I uh, had a heart condition. So uh, I um, blacked out on stage one night. Oh, my God. A, Sam, yeah, I'm so in sorry. A, in a, I, was in, I was in a comedy club and I um, felt really kind of dizzy. My heart was beating really fast and I just blacked out. I just, you know, and, you know, kind of came to and was like, oh. And, and, you know, just had this audience staring at me, you know, and... Uh, yeah, and then I had to go to hospital and I found out that I've got a thing called SVT, uh, which is a – it basically means that the two nodes on your in your heart don't talk to each other and so it, sometimes it just, you know, through stressful times it becomes a problem. And I did stand up after that because I was just like, I don't want that to be the reason I stopped. And I just, I just lost the love and the drive after that. It wasn't like a – it just didn't seem like a viable thing to be putting myself at risk yeah. All the time to do that thing. So yeah. four nights a week I was like, do I want to risk that happening again and do I want this to be an issue and do I want yeah. this to be me? And and I, I started loving making things again. So I was making films when I started and then, and then you know, did stand-up and that was a thing that I was doing but I was also doing that film stuff at the same time. Mm. Like I was, you know, always working. So I was working at a film company and, and doing stand-up and then I was just like, well, I'm just going to – Focus on the film thing yeah. and just do that because, you know, at least I know that I don't have to be out four nights a week yeah, and doing that. Yeah. What was it like to wake up on a stage having blacked out? It, was, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't waking up. It was like a millisecond of oh, okay. blacking out and then not. I just didn't know where I was. Yeah, I had completely yeah. lost where I was. So I was staring at a room full of people but I didn't really know what I was doing. You know. oh, so are you still standing? Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd oh. kind of fallen because I was grabbing onto a mic stand and I'd kind of fallen and I was grabbing, cr- clutching onto the mic stand and then wow. got back up and realised what had happened but I didn't really know where I was at the time. So I remember looking at the people and 
They were confused. I think they were thinking, is this still part of the app? Yeah. Like, you know, what is Yeah, this? they'd be kind of laughing awkwardly yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah. Wow, did the MC have to kind of come on and help? Or did you Someone cover it and did. keep going? Someone came and helped me. Uh, Ryan Coffey, who's a, a great comedian. I don't think he does it at all anymore, but he was a great comedian. And he, he grabbed me and took me outside. Yeah. yeah, he just grabbed me and took me in and said, you need to go to the hospital. Yeah. But, you know, and, and, you know, at that age as well, people were like, you know, just assumed that I'd done a lot of coke or something. Like, yeah, you know, it was like, yeah. you know. Yeah, because how old were you? I, what was it? Three years ago, I would have been 26 or. Yeah. yeah oh, so. right in that peak time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, yeah, I think people just assumed that I'd taken something or, you know, I was just out of it or I was drunk or whatever. But yeah. Yeah, it was a bit of a wake up call that, you know, that I couldn't. And also that I was, you know, pushing myself really hard mm. as well. Like I was, you know, always working really hard. So, you know, I kind of thought maybe working that hard and the adrenaline hit of going out on stage all the time and being <laughs> nervous before a gig, maybe that's maybe that's a sign yeah, that I need like to stop. it's like putting yourself in the line of fire yeah. like, all the time. It just strikes me like for someone that has social anxiety and, and finds those that situation kind of scary, meeting new people, and you're just constantly like bungee jumping, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, like yeah. Straight yeah, yeah, into yeah. all the, fi- the fire, like yeah, walking straight every towards time. it. What is it that you love about making film? comparatively to the stand-up? I just think it's, it's, it's more of a relaxed pace. You know, it's a, it's a nice thing when you can create something and then, you know, you do you do one thing and then you go, that's really great and you really like it and then the edit changes everything. You know, and then you go, oh, my God, it's like solving a puzzle. It's like every time there's like one yeah. bit here, one bit there. And then, you know, you're rewriting a whole story, like documentary especially, like you're making a story, you're writing a story as it's happening. Which is pretty exciting, like, you know, when you can actually focus on that and kind of go, well, I'm, you know, writing this story as it's going and this piece goes here and then you change one little thing and it completely changes the whole narrative. And so I think that's, yeah, film film is kind of so exciting because the process of it can be pretty agonising and, and, you know, you can keep filming and filming and filming and while you're doing it sometimes you don't like it and you're like, I don't think this is going anywhere and then you take it back and you upload it and then you go, wow, this is actually, this could be something or you film a scene that you go, that was amazing and you get back and you're so excited to edit it. Like I like the editing more than the filming. But, That's so interesting. But, yeah, but you get it back and you're, like, starting to piece it together and, you you know, you're making things work and then you show a clip to someone and they really like it and so, you know, you kind of get inspired over and over again. And also it's not lost on one night. That's true, isn't it? Yeah, it's not – and it doesn't have that same kind of immediacy. Yeah, yeah. Because you yeah. can – it's there in perpetuity, mm. I guess. It's a, it's actually it made there. a physical thing. Yeah. Fraud Festival is really great. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I love that. Is that the almost recent comedy film that you Yeah, made? yeah, yeah. So yeah. that was, yeah, completely improvised comedy film. So that was co- uh, improvised? Yeah, the whole really? thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. <gasps> wow, talk us, talk us through it. So I had an idea when I saw the Fire Festival documentary. I was like, oh, I'd love to. I just thought the idea of the Fire Festival thing was such a good concept for comedy. Oh, it is so incredible that story. And yeah, what a shit show. Yeah, like, yeah, just a shit show. It, like, how did it happen? How did all yeah. the people not stop? And and you know, just the idea of a a music festival that was put on without any preparation, and and you know, people were scrambling all the time, and. When I was growing up, I, I loved Christopher Guest films, so like Best in Show and Waiting for Guffman and Spinal Tap and all of those films, and I was obsessed with the idea that they were just improvised. Like it didn't make sense because, you know, you. but then you go, well, 
isn't that better than being written because it's more conversational and and so I I came up with the idea that it would be really funny if you had a a, a music festival that was going to be held in a small town and they're trying to save the small town because a bypass is going through and they're like, Cobert. Cobert. <laughs> so they, <laughs> they want to they save the town and they're like, well, what do we do? And someone comes up with the idea of having a music festival. But, you know, it's a very small town and they're not going to get any acts or anything like big acts. So someone comes up with a template anyway and it says, you know, on the poster it says Lady Gaga, Elton John, <laughs> all of these big names, um, David Grohl. Yeah. And, uh, Is that Ryan Shelton? Ryan Shelton, yeah, yeah plays character. that character. Yeah. yeah. It's so hilarious. And, yeah, and so people are just excited about seeing the poster for the first time and they accidentally release that poster and then they sell 40,000 tickets in 38 seconds or something (laughs) ridiculous and then they have to put on the music festival. They're like, well, do we cancel it, refund all the money or do we just go ahead with it? And because the mayor wants to save the town, he goes, let's just go ahead with it. So I come up with that basic idea. So that was the idea and then I wanted it to be improvised so I had to write... You have to write like the start, middle and end of every scene, but then you don't put any dialogue in there. So, you know, I always knew where the start and the middle was and then I wrote jokes that I would tell the people on the day and if they wanted to use them, they could use them, but that was up to them. And so I then had to go to, there's 22 people in it. I had to go to all of those people and ask them if they would be in it and that's why everyone's name in it is their own name because that was the person that I asked to play that part and getting them to come for two hours at a time, film, I'd film every scene twice, that was it. Wow. Yeah, I gave no opportunity for anything else. It was just I didn't want to waste people's time because they were giving up their time for free. Like I didn't have any money to make it. So it was just like, you know, just do it and then every scene was improvised. So I gave them two opportunities. I had I went and bought another camera, so I had two cameras all the time and it was just filming everything and then I'd get back to the editing Room and so and just, you were filming it as well? I was filming it and editing it, yeah, and directing Sam! it. Sam! Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. So I've just, like, made all this noise like a piece of paper. Yeah, that no, is so, cr- That is a huge amount of work. Yeah, oh yeah. God, so, wow. yeah, I made it over – it was about six months it took in the end. Yeah, so – and but that was, you know, going to these people and saying, you know, I'm a big fan of all of these people and, you know, these people who I asked to be in it are the best and funniest improvisers that I know. So – I didn't want to restrict them, but I was like, you know, can you come for two hours? And a lot of the people in it were maybe it was like a two-hour block. That was it. That's all I had to film with them. Um, But then, you know, the main character, Wes Snelling, Genevieve Morris, uh, you know, there were people that were around a lot more, especially Wes. You know, Wes was around for for a lot. And then Genevieve was like, you know, maybe four days with her. Um, You know, and and you're just trying to piece it together as you're going. but And rewriting it as you're going as well because... You know, when you don't have a budget and you're making something and, you know, you want an epic ending, you can't really get an epic ending. So you have to kind of rewrite depending on what that is. So yeah. you have to, yeah, when you get to it, you're like, well, I can get this space. It's like 500 bucks. So I want to spend 500 bucks on this place. And then I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll spend 500 bucks on that, that place. like that big cavernous room. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, the big cavernous room, yeah. So it was worth it. Yeah, yeah. Really I was like, I just off. wanted to find a really big space where the festival would be. <laughs> and there's like five people. <laughs> yeah, 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 watching the whole show. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so filming that and just going, oh, I just want it to be improvised. And, you know, I had lapel mics and I was like, I'm just going to do it. Yeah. And that seems it. to me to be an incredibly stressful thing mm. to undertake. There were times when it was pretty stressful. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, 
because I've watched it, and if you haven't seen, obviously, if you haven't seen it, you totally should. It's not, you can get it on Vimeo. Oh yeah, I put it on Vimeo. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. on Vimeo. And it, but the pacing of it is just so brilliant. It reminds me a lot of The Office, actually. Oh right, yeah, in yeah. The, in the way that it's obviously like a faux documentary. Yeah. And I know we talked about the fact that The Office is a big kind of influence for you yeah, in general, yeah. the American one especially. Did you was that? Deliberate, or was that just something that has come out? That no, just seems... something come out. Yeah, I hadn't yeah. watched The Office in a very long time, so I think the Steve Carell is just phenomenal. Like you know, like him in that series is just like you just see him playing, and it just looks like the funnest just thing. Improvising, yeah, and he's silly. such a good actor. Like there's so many layers to him, you know. Like, and I'm one of. Maybe I'd like to say I'm the biggest Genevieve Morris fan in the world. So um, Genevieve Morris, when I was growing up, I was like, if I ever get to meet her, my life would be made. You know, like it was her and her, Fiona, Judith Lucy and um, Tony Martin were like people that I was growing up just going, if I ever get to meet them. Like, and, and Genevieve Morris, my mum and I used to just go, how is she that funny? Because there's not, it's not possible that someone is that funny. Like... Her demeanour, everything. I watched her in Comedy Inc. I watched her in everything. Anything I see her in, Scott Brennan and her used to be in um, in Comedy Inc. together. And I was watching those two and Emily Tahini and you go, these people are just incredible and on another level. And then you go, why isn't there a vehicle for these people? Because these people are the best people. Like, you know, like... I love being in a room with them. Like, you know, like it's, it, they're yes. the funniest people in the world and, and there's just no outlet for them all the time and there should be. And so my main thing when I was like came up with this idea, it was like how do I showcase all of those people, those people that I've grown up watching but also have gotten to know over the years and I find them just the funnest people to hang out with. And I was like, well, what if you just gave them the scene and see where it goes? And people maybe had never seen Wes Snelling before play a role. You know, like, you know, he's yeah. a cabaret performer and he, Tina Doll Twist is one of the funniest characters ever, but him as himself, he is really funny. He's, and he's such a sweet and beautiful person. You can feel that. You can just yeah. feel it wherever it is. And and then, you know, Genevieve, you know, so when I was sitting down with these people, I was like, I don't want anyone else to do this. Like this is, it's either these people or nothing. Like Ryan Shelton, people like that. Like it was like, I actually, when I came up with the idea, I was thinking of you people. And if you can't do it, then I'm not going to do it. You know, like, because there was no, there's no alternative to Genevieve. There just isn't. Like, you know, you could, you could have someone that's um, kind of like Genevieve and kind of, you know, kind of hits the mark, but there's just looks she gives and, you know, the anger that she has for everyone she meets (laughs) and, you know, and she's such a strong person. Yeah. You know, she's, you know, there's, there's a line in it where Oliver and I, my old housemate, Oliver Clark, he's in the film as well. He's amazing. And he plays the MC of the festival. And Oliver and I had one day where we were filming and it was the first day. And I didn't know really know what it was, but I knew that Oliver was going to hold one camera at our house and I was going to hold the other. And Genevieve and Jim Russell were coming around. And I was such a big fan of Jim Russell. I'd never met him before. He'd never met me before. But Genevieve said, my mate self-funding a film, come around. Aww. You know, and it was just like, and I had one conversation with him on the phone. I'd given him his character. I wrote character bios for everyone. I was like, this is your character. And then Genevieve and him sat down and all the scene was that it was Genevieve and Jim talk about their sex life. Genevieve talks about how if you add it all up in 
in time of how many, the period of time she's had other men inside of her, um, it adds up to this it's time, like blah, blah, blah. Three years. Three years. And, <laughs> so and she just started. Like she just so went. that's just easy. Yeah. And she was just like, um, I was just like, that's it. That's all the scene is. And it was her and Jim. And Jim decided that he was just going to be really uncomfortable in that moment. So he doesn't want to talk about it. And I was like, at the end of that, you need to bring up your micro penis. So that was how the whole thing ends. So. <laughs> He gets up and he shows. And so that's just those two. And Oliver and I couldn't handle it. Like we could not film it. Like it was, I had to cut so much around that scene because when I wasn't laughing, luckily I get his camera for a second where he wasn't laughing and, and you have to just keep filming it and go with it. But those two people in a room, it's just electric. And then, you know, and then you have to go, well, yeah, I want Jim to talk about that he sells rocks with googly eyes on them. And, and Jim is starts just going – he just starts, decided to say that he's doing a short course at RMIT in, in just self-confidence, just building up his <laughs> self-confidence. And he just goes on this tangent about <laughs> self-confidence and he picks up a packet of Tim Tams and he's like, these are my Tim Tams. They're not for you. They're for me because it's my turn. Just stand up and be proud. And, and, and that scene went for 20 minutes and I didn't want to cut anything out. Like, you know, that was the hard thing is that you have to cut that stuff down. Yeah, and I was just thinking the edit of this is so tight and yeah. the timing is so beautiful. It does that thing where it just leaves it hanging. Yeah. And I just love that so much. There's that funny scene with them in front of the fridge where they're talking about <laughs> yogurt. Completely yogurt. improvised. Like, like everything's obviously completely improvised. We have to take this fridge. But the, all that scene was it said <laughs> Jim wants to take the fridge with him to Coburg. Like to cope it yeah. on a, you know, a, what is it, a 22-hour drive. And and he's just saying, we're taking the fridge, we're taking it. And she's like, we're not taking the fridge, mate. They've got fridges there. They've got, he goes, what does this fridge do that no other fridge does that I've ever experienced? And she goes, oh, I don't know, something about your yogurt. He goes, not yogurt, yogurt. And it just, it just keeps going. It goes, which is my perfect temperature, which is? And she goes, 3.6, 3.4. 3.4, and it, it just keeps going, and it's just like, so I don't good. know, and Genevieve and Jim have worked together for so long that their timing, they just know each other so well. Yeah. They already know where the other one is going, so it's them getting to play, but them getting to play in a circumstance like we had filmed that one twice because um, I was laughing too much. Like I couldn't handle the intensity <laughs> of him talking about his yogurt. And, the, you know, like, <laughs> and I could It's too much, that. you know, but then, you, yeah. you know, like, we filmed for maybe two hours that day and so 80% of the scenes that we shot aren't in there because, you know, I was when I was editing it, it was four hours and there were just scenes, little bits and pieces where, you know, I'd be showing it to someone and they'd be going, there's just no point for this. Yeah. Like, you know, like it's so <laughs> funny but there's no point. You know, them yelling at each other in a car park is so funny or them on the trip, on the road trip down. <laughs> <laughs> screaming at each other and him shitting himself. You know, like it's like it's, it's it so was so funny. funny, but it's like it doesn't actually add anything to the story and you have to start to cut stuff out where, you know, watching The Office growing up, I was just like it just felt like that was the environment that they got to play in. It wouldn't have been because it was a very commercial, TV you know, show, NBC yeah. show I think it was. Like it would have been so scripted. But it felt like it had that room to play. Yeah. And I didn't think I could write a script that felt like it just, I didn't feel like I could write a script that had that playfulness and 
the, yeah. the I guess that freedom where people and look the like they're having fun. absurdity as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Someone deciding if they want to crack it at someone in that moment. <laughs> yes. And they usually about do. Yogurt. Yeah, yeah, yogurt. Know, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. the funnest thing. I guess it's like Amy Poehler, right, talks mm. about. I mean, in Parks and Rec, quite a few of her scenes, I think, had an improv yeah. to them. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, I just think improvisation is the most incredible thing to watch. And yeah. You, do you do improv? No. No, no, no. Uh, not at all. And I, I think I'd be terrible at it. I just don't have that in me. Like some people, some people are just so good at it. Like, you know, there's Honor Wolf and Patrick Dern and Silver who are in a uh, duo called Hot Department. And just to watch them improvise together is incredible. Like, you know, and they're such artists in the way they do it. I'm just not someone that can do it. But I love to, like, I can go with people on, you know, like, and, you know, like doing a podcast or something like, you know, or doing my comedy podcast and I know how to talk to people, but it's like, yeah. you know, but, but it's not really improv, like oh, it's watching people. It's interesting you say that because let's talk about Confessions of the Idiots. Mm. So that podcast is so funny and you do improv, improvise with your guests often yeah. when yeah, you're yeah. reading the story out. Do you want to explain what that concept is? <laughs> yeah, so it's, a, it's called Confessions of the Idiots and it's about basically I, a few years ago, so it's now been going for three years. And Happy third birthday. Thank you so much. And, uh, yeah, it was like a year, uh, yeah, when it, before I started doing it, I just had this idea. Of, I just started finding people just kept sending me all these really messed up online confessions. So messed up. So, wow. and the, But there's just so many. And, you know, there's all these different websites that just have all of these confessions. And I started reading them and I was just like, oh, it's so weird that, they all have this massive build-up that goes nowhere and it's all these people that are just trying to say, I'm actually a really good person. You know, I I give to charity and anyway, I shit in a bit. You know, like it's just, it's just every confession is like that, you know, and every week you just have these people. Yeah. That, and so I was just like, I basically I was like, I just want to record one mm-hmm. and see what it's like. You know, and I've always had that thing of I get the confessions, I read them once, and then I don't read them again. I just put them away, and then I bring them out like six weeks later, so they're fresh to me. And so I was like, well, I'll just put that put that away. And then I got my friend, um, performer Scott Brennan, and uh, Wes Snelling, and I was just like, we'll just sit in a room, and we sat in this very room, and we recorded our first episode, and it was so much fun that we were just crying, laughing, reading these confessions, and you know. It was so much fun to see people getting the idea straight away, like people just going, this is so funny and you can make fun of these people because they're anonymous. Yeah. You know, you can yeah. actually go to yeah. town on them. Yeah. But, yeah, and then and then I just started recording every week and, you know, just getting two people that I find really funny together in a room every week and they may be well-known people, they might not be. It might be friends that I've had for a very long time or people that don't have just don't have a profile for some reason and you're like, you know, but they're so funny and it's it's so nice to introduce people to some people that, you know, you've never met before but you just find them so funny. Mm. But, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's great to – it's like my favourite part of the week is getting to you – know, I recorded one just before this and it was like, you know, just getting to do that once a week where you just bring – like all I have with me is my phone and it's just I've got four confessions on it and I'm going to read them to two people 
every week. And that's so freeing, isn't it? Because it doesn't have all of the added layer of like the tech and the, yeah. all the things that just, you just kind of have this hilarious chat. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's the joy of podcasting. That's what I love doing suggestible. We jazz yeah, yeah, my yeah. partner because we do, we just kind of bring our things that we love during that week and just get silly. Yeah. And yeah. Ridiculous. Yeah. And, um, and cause it's with people that you find funny and you're really comfortable with, then it, yeah, it's just a joy. And I think that's why people love your show too because they want you just want to be everyone just wants to be in a room with people they find funny yeah. having a laugh yeah right? yeah at yeah. the end of the day e- every time and it's like you know once a week it's just the funnest thing to do because you go yeah. oh and you look forward to it because you're like oh i've got these insane people coming this week yeah and, you know and i know that they're going to yeah do what they you know they're going to just say what they feel yeah, and, you know, like, yeah you what's know, in their heart and mostly heart. it's rage yeah, slash it confusion yeah. and curiosity. <laughs> what is one of your favourite confessions? Do you reckon? Is that like choosing between your children? Yeah, it's so it's so hard, but there there was a confession a little while ago that uh, the actor Stephen Curry is on most of the episodes of the podcast. <laughs> like it's him and Dave Lawson alike on 38% of every episode, like all, all of the podcasts. But, yeah. uh, but Stephen and I usually just do it, just him and I, and just because, you know, we're – I've known him for such a long time and we just get along so well that I can say anything to him and he can say anything to me. So there's never there's never a <laughs> beat, really there's never a moment. Go there, yeah. yeah, and there was one that it was about a guy that was overseas, his wife was sick, he decided to go to a haunted mansion – and while he was there, he saw a ghost. She offered a blowjob. <laughs> and then that happened. And then he went home and he didn't tell his wife, Susan. And then he came back to Australia. Susan. and Yeah. And, and Stephen was just like, you need to follow this up. I need, I have questions. <laughs> and so I did. I reached out to him on Reddit and then he responded. And so then it's just become this running theme in the podcast where then Stephen will come back and I'll just ask the guy more questions, Dave, and then Dave will then <laughs> reply to that and just say, it was like, it felt like a, um, a vacuum with a water sprinkler in it. <laughs> and I was just like, wow. Like, cause wow, it never would have. So unexpected. So unexpected. I was thinking it'd be just cold. Just cold. You know? Yeah. It's like, yeah. Windy, maybe. Windy, yeah. yeah. Windy and a bit of sort of sound effects. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. As it's going. Yeah. But no, wow. and, and, and so that's probably the one that just sticks out just because there's been so much interaction with it. Like, writing to someone who, you know, I didn't think would respond because it was like, you know, it's such an insane thing that they've put out there. Yeah. And like, like, is that true? No. No, it's a yes. ghost. No, but I mean, but you know, but, but that is was, it true like, for them, or is know. it like a story? Like that's what I'm so interested in. Like, do people do they tell real confessions, or is it so. for fun? I think a lot of them are for fun. I think the ones that are real are the ones that have all this bullshit. Or there's all this detail for no reason, <laughs> and a lot of it you go, well, it kind of has to be real. Like if they're mentioning the colour of the letterbox and then they go on a tangent about how their dad never loved them and stuff. You're like, why is someone making this up? Like, you know, so it becomes, I think when there's way too much detail, I'm usually like, this is definitely. This is a real real thing. Yeah. And then guests sometimes say that, like Jess Perkins, who comes on all the time, will be like, I think that one's actually real. Yeah. Which is real sad (laughs) when they find that out. They're like, I think that one's actually real. Yeah. Do you ever feel bad that you're making fun of people? Not really. No. I mean... They put them out into a space and 
internet people are worse than yeah. you know, <laughs> anything you trolls. could ever say. Yeah. Totally. Is that a human need, like if you've done something terrible, to get it out? And if they can't get it out anywhere else, they're like, yeah. well, I'll just tell the void of the internet yeah. of like millions of people. I think so. I think if people don't feel they can tell anyone, then they need to get it out and tell someone. And, you know, some people write journals and everything and some people post on Reddit. It's just such a weird <laughs> it's such a weird thing that it's like, nah, I'm just gonna Dear Reddit, Reddit. These are the most terrible things I've ever done. Yeah, it's so strange. Send. But yeah, 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 send. Yeah. Some people are so odd with it that it's like, no, nah, I think I'll put this online. <laughs> okay. And they don't edit it, they just put it up as it is, and you're like, okay. <laughs> God. I love it so much. I could talk to you about stuff for so yeah, long. Yeah, me too. It's so interesting. I, I just want to finish with your kind of main philosophy on life, which I know is like a big question. Yeah. Do you have like a main driving force behind why you do all the things you do or a belief system? I think it's always been don't let fear be the reason you don't do something. I think that's been the, you know, if fear is the only reason you're not going to do something, then you still need to do it, mm. you know, because I think I think uh, it stops a lot of people from doing things. It just, you know, that fear gets in the way when they're like, oh, I can't, I can't actually do this. I can't actually go through with this. I can't, you know, and terrified because it is scary. It's like that bungee jumping thing. It's like, yeah, if you don't do it now, you're never going to do it. You just have to do it right now. It's like ripping off a Band-Aid. You just have to do it. Yeah. You know, it's like when, you know, go swimming and it's freezing out and, it's so cold and I'm swimming in an outdoor pool and, you know, and I'm sitting in my car and I'm like, oh, I could just I could just skip it. You know, like <laughs> no there was idea, that moment. Except for that, yeah. that black person in your head Yeah, the guy's like, no, you get in that pool. Yeah, buddy, get in there, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like that. I'm just like there's some times where I'm just like, oh, I don't want to do it. And, you know, and it's it's not a fear so much but it's it's that thing where it's like you, you also don't need to do that and then you're like, well, I'm going to do it. I'm going to be dead one day. I'm dead one day, yeah. Got to get in there. I'll sleep when I'm dead. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I, think that's, I think that's probably my main philosophy is that, yeah, yeah. You, you, if fear's the only reason, then just mm. keep doing it. Because What do you think people are afraid of? People are afraid of being embarrassed and um, rejection, I think, is a big thing, you know, being rejected from something, whatever it is. And, yeah, and just, just being embarrassed. You know, I, I tried and I didn't do it well or I didn't. And everyone saw... Everyone saw, yeah. I think people just have a lot of shame and a lot of embarrassment and, you know, people, I think, yeah, people who feel embarrassed just, you know, I think it just stops so many people from doing things. Do you think, in a way, having facial palsy and the childhood that you had is a gift because you don't have to, you've already had all that, you've experienced that and you're like, well, it wasn't that bad or you've developed mechanisms to cope with it? I th- yeah, I think so. I think I'm just, I just don't find anything scary. Like, I mean, I do, like I do have social anxiety and all that stuff, but I don't find anything, I know I can push through anything Yeah. because I know that I've been through the worst stuff in my mind. So I always find that, well, what's the worst that can happen? Like I don't have an embarrassed filter. I don't, I don't get embarrassed. So, you know, I know if I put something out there and someone doesn't like it, then I go, okay. <laughs> like, you know, Probably don't like well, you anyway. Yeah, oh, it's yeah. next week. So, you yeah. know, like, you know, like yeah. I've always got something. So don't worry about it if you didn't like it. That's, you know, it's like a podcast, like doing it every week. Like sometimes people are going to find it really funny and sometimes people are going to find it interesting or, you know, it doesn't always have to be that one thing. Not every week has to be the funniest week ever. You know, you might have you might have so many reasons why the podcast wasn't as funny as you want it to be. It might be the confessions. It might be so many other things that just weren't as funny as another one you listened to. But there's one out next week. 
You know, there's one that's yeah. there's going to be next Sunday as well. So, you know, you I'm get a free gonna... podcast every week that you're like, well, that one you didn't like as much as another one because you prefer other guests or you prefer when I said something or, you, you know, whatever it is, yeah, whatever yeah. that thing is. It's like, well, there'll be one next week. Yeah. I think embarrassment, people just get so so worried about what will other people think and yeah. the embarrassment out of it all. Whereas you just got to keep doing it again yeah. and again and again. Yeah. Because the more that you do it, the better you get at it. Yeah, yeah. And it's not as scary. the through the fear. Yeah. Yeah. And that's then, why, like, you know, when I was making the fraud festival, you know, someone said to me, that's so weird that you're doing it. Like, why would you just do it? And I was like, well, I'm not going to get funding <laughs> for it. Like, I'm not going to get funding for it. I've always wanted to make it. You know, like it's that thing of going, do I want a house deposit or do I want to make this thing that I've always wanted to make? Yeah. And that always wins because it's like, well, even if it gets played, like it got played on Channel 31, which is an amazing community station. But, you know, COVID hit and I wanted to put it in film festivals, so that never happened. And then, you know, I was like, well, I need to do something with it because it's been sitting there for a year and... I don't think a lot of people would do something like that because they're just like, oh, it's so much money, it's so much time, it's so much thing, and they're going, yeah, exactly, that's why it's so much fun. Yeah. You know, like, like that's why it's so much fun. What else are you going to do? You're like, yeah, I don't you mind do? if I rent. Yeah, You know, exactly. like, I'm like, I don't, like, I'm like I, don't, I don't have, I don't like material things. I'm always like, you know, my, my car is, you know, my granddad passed away, that's the car I have. Like, you know, like yeah, everything yeah. I have is like I, I, I don't need new things. I'm just like so excited to be able to do things with all those amazing people and you're like, well, that's more valuable than Completely. Anything. You don't want to be sitting back in your rocking chair at 80 being yeah, like, no. oh, I'm really glad I had a Mazda 3. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, yeah. And, and, you know, and people that say, yeah, like, you know, this person that was saying it to me was just like, yeah, what's the point of it? Like, you know, like you put it out and some people will see it and that's it. And it's like, yeah, well, you know, I hope that someone might see it who goes, what, this was completely self-funded? Like this was all, like imagine what you can do if you had a budget. Like, you know, like like if someone saw that and went, if this was all done because people liked this person who made it and gave up their time time to do it and then he just went away and like I just went away every night I just edited. Every night I'd just sit in my room and edit. Yeah, there were times when it was hard but also like if if I made one person look at it that would have gone... You know, if someone was in their head going, oh, I wonder why Strawi doesn't make these really funny films like, you know, like America does, like, you know, the Christopher Guest films, like when someone doesn't make a best in show, when we have the talent, even more talent with our improvisers and comedians, like we've got so much talent here. And if an international audience saw that somehow or someone saw it and just went, that that was done without a budget, that's incredible. If it gave... Where Snelling an opportunity that he wouldn't have otherwise have if it gave Genevieve an opportunity. Like, it's just, like, I would love to have a budget to make another one. Mm. But, you know, but you just got to do that first. And then if, yeah, if and I see where it leads yeah. to the next thing, because the next, nothing is wasted. No. I, I think no experience, no nothing that you've been through in your life that's difficult. If you use it and you learn through it and it pushes you to do something new, it's not wasted. No. And mistakes, oh, I'm so corny, but mistakes are that gift, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. To keep going. And then you're absolutely right. In And because it's a film that lives in perpetuity for in a year, in yeah. another, you just don't know what will be the thing that leads to the next thing. Yeah. And what an adventure yeah. to be yeah. on. Yeah. You know, what are you going to do? Sit at home in a, in a house and watch Netflix? Money yeah. comes and goes as well. That's the thing. It's like yeah. money can be there. It can not be there. Everyone's had those periods of time. It's like, but when you've got it, like I was like that night that I came up with the idea, I bought a second camera. Wow. I was just like, I'm just going to do it. 
well, I asked one of the people in it to be in it and I was talking to him about, about one week and got him to say, yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll do it. You know, if I, if I can do it in two hours, I'll do it. And then the next week I sent him a date to do it. And he's like, oh, you're actually, you're actually doing it. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And he's I, like, 100%. <laughs> he's like, well, if anyone's going to do it, you're going to do it. But, oh, wow, you're doing it really quick. And I'm like, wow, if I don't do it now, I'm just never, ever going to do it. Jump in the pool. Jump in the pool. Yeah, to rip the band over. If you think jump about it too pool. long, yeah. it just festers and then yeah. nothing happens. Jump in that pool. Start yeah. swimming. I love it. That, bit. Thank you so much, Sam. Honestly, that was such a great chat and so interesting. And I really recommend any, everyone going to Watch Fraud Festival. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's Thank so hell. Like I, and to be honest, I thought about it and I thought, oh, you know, it's an amateur film. I'll have, not an amateur, but I no, think in is. my head, it's, I was it's like, just oh, me. It's on, but it's on Vimeo, you know. And I thought, oh, I'll just, I'll watch it. And immediately I was cry laughing oh, okay. at the kitchen table. And James came in and he's like, what are you watching? I'm like, you have to watch this thing. <laughs> I was just oh, that's great. So clever and great, and just yeah, the the cast alone is just spectacular. Yeah, so the best of the best. Bloody congratulations! Thank you. Mate. I can't Thank wait you. to see what you do next. Thank you. Excellent. Okay. All right, that's it for me this week. I've been Claire Tonti on Tots, and my guest today has been Sam Peterson. You can find more from Sammy P at theproducerboy.com where you can find his podcast, Confessions of the Idiots, and there's links to previous episodes with me and also with James Clement. You can also find his documentary, Lady Lachlan, there and watch his comedy film, Fraud Festival, for free on Vimeo. And if you do nothing else, go and watch that for the brilliant yogurt fridge debacle. So hilarious. For more from me, you can follow me on Instagram at Claire Tonti, where I occasionally tell stories. And also there's a link in my bio for my newsletter that comes out semi-weekly. We've had some sick kids this week. So anyway, it comes out semi-weekly and I'd love to write to you just with updates on what I've been doing and recommendations for things. So that's in the bio down there. Also, if you love this episode or you think someone else would really appreciate it, please share it with them. That would just make my day. And chuck us a rate and review if you like as well, just like the wonderful Tia has. And this is her review. Humor and deep conversations, two of my favorite things. Another fantastic podcast from this lovely lady with a brilliant first episode. Charming, funny, engaging, and so interesting. Hearing people's stories is always fascinating and knowing that I'm not alone in my feelings about life and all its madness is such a relief. Oh, mate. I feel you too, Tia. It is. It absolutely is. I think it's the only way through, really, isn't it? Life, to know that you're not alone. If you'd also like to write to me, you can write to me at tonspot at gmail.com. And this week, I got a really touching email from a lovely bloke called Mattia. He writes about our previous conversation with Jesse Stevens on heartbreak. I identify as a cisgender heterosexual male and I share some of the ways you mentioned that men process heartbreak. However, I also saw myself in some of what Jesse was characterising as stereotypically feminine. Growing up, I certainly processed heartbreak through verbal expression rather than physical reactions. I do, however, feel that many of my male peers tended to mock or look down upon my showing of fragility. In time, I built a shell and stopped talking about my feelings And I still found solace in expressing my feelings, but only internally or through writing or often thinking of myself as a character in TV shows or in books I loved. Throughout the years, I had the luck and joy of getting to know friends who were fearless and open about their feelings, especially, but not strictly, female confidants who allowed me to find the room to express and define my innermost hurt and desires. Overall, it took me years to even admit the smallest hurt, let alone heartbreak, 
And I have to thank my best friend, my wife, and my most recent circle of international friends. So in summary, I'd say that I personally experience emotions in a somewhat similar way as the two of you. That is via words and seeing myself from the outside. However, growing up, I never found a way to voice it to others and I'm still learning. Thanks so much for sharing with Tia. And I wonder if anyone else can relate to that. I really appreciated you writing in and being so vulnerable. So what a superstar. Okay, that is it from me this week. Sending you lots of love and I'll see you next Tuesday. Oh, <laughs> that is not a metaphor. That's what I actually meant to say. All right, see you then. Bye. Bye.